Never imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's It means something. You know, that's my take on it. Like, what's yours? Protonic Reversal! That's like a science thing, right? That's right, that's right, that's right! It is a science thing, it is a science place, it is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. Welcome to the one, the only protonic reversal protonic reversal welcome 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 everyone morning it's uh this this show actually started as a morning show and i am doing this in the morning in my own personal timeline and that's uh that's different from doing a late at night (laughs) for those that are not aware those are those are two very very different things so here we are uh, we're going to be talking to Mr. Tad Doyle. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, Tad, Hogmolly Brothers, Sonic Cloth. I've been wanting to do this for a while, so I'm, I'm glad this, I really got this worked out. It's awesome. Anyway, let's just get right to it, huh? Uh, so, of God's balls. <laughs> Talk to me 
was Lava by Brothers of the Sonic Cloth off the self-titled Brothers of the Sonic Cloth record that came out in 2015 uh, on Narat. Before that, we had Tad with Pork Chop. That's off of God's Balls. And let's talk now to Mr. Tad Doyle. All right, that was a little Brothers of the Sonic Cloth there. And before that, we had some Tad. We got a uh, mini Tad block. And on the phone right now, we have another Mr. Tad Doyle. Tad, hey. how are you, man? Hello. Doing good, Conan. How are you? Good. Good morning to you. Good morning. <laughs> it's uh, This show actually started as a morning show, uh, oh, which, yeah? was, which was a very long time ago. <laughs> so nice. I'm, I'm getting... I got my I got my stuff together, but I feel a little out of sorts. So uh, apologies for uh, uh, something of a later start. Uh, yeah, no worries, man. I've had a similar thing. I'm applying for uh, that uh, pandemic assistance for sole proprietorships in Washington State. It's been a nightmare to get all the info for them. Yeah, it seems like they they don't make it easy to put no. it, to put it bluntly. Yeah, it's bureaucracy. That's how it goes, you know. And you know, people game the system and i'm not one of them so i'm you know i understand yeah and it's somewhat demoralizing and depressing that these large corporations are getting all their money immediately even ones that you know aren't even necessarily a small business right and uh you know you've you've been doing uh witch ape studio of course is, is, is what we're talking about here and you've been you know you've been doing your studio for a while but certainly not you know you know a studio i mean that's that's all you really need to say at this point uh you know studios in general at the at the best of times are usually kind of run on a thin margin and i can only imagine right now uh, in the age of social distancing probably not a whole lot of people coming in and recording i mean i know you gave a really cool sort of suggestion uh offer for remote mixing and things along those lines which i thought was really interesting and cool um yeah but you know just keeping the doors open is like a minor miracle <laughs> in this day yeah, it's, right now, so it's been very challenging and uh, i'm not the only one in it so you know i know how that goes for everybody right and it's something where when you talk about, you know, small business relief, it's, that's, it's, it's almost like the perfect case study, but by the same token, if you don't have anybody actually advocating for you or don't have somebody in the room when they're, when they're doling the money out, it's just what ends up happening is folks get caught in the system. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, I can speak from my own perspective that I've never worked so hard and so long for such little return then uh, I, you know, I, I would put my time and efforts in comparison with a ledger sheet against a CEO of some major corporation. <laughs> right. and, although they may have more stress from stockholders, I mean, I do everything. I have to do everything. I'm legit too. So I pay taxes. Uh, I'm above board. I have a business license in Washington State. I got to pay sales tax here. You know, it's it's a lot to do, but you know, I I love doing this shit. So. Well, it's sort of, it's a hat. It's a it's a bunch of different hats that need to be worn at, at multiple times, and it's it's irritating that it, much like art itself, it's not really valued right. <laughs> in a way to make it easier. It's like you just if you're if you're a square peg, you just have to fit into the round hole any which way you slice it, and it's right. Uh, that that's it. 
I don't have an yeah. answer for that. I guess I'm just bitching out loud, and that's a. <laughs> but, no, no, I understand, and you know that's something I've tried to do most of my life is uh, be that square hole trying to fit in that round peg, and it's just you know I've come to the realization not too long ago, maybe ten year, ten fifteen years ago, that I'm not really employable in the regular sense of the world word. Um, you know, I'm I got a lot of things that are going for me as far as creativity, but there's certain issues I have like uh, dyslexia for one. And I was doing accounting, you know, <laughs> for, for a job right. at one point wow, and I was okay. good yeah. at it. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, but, but you gotta, you gotta almost work twice as hard just to get over the, uh, get over that. Exactly. I've had to sit and read numbers and strings over and over and then just write them down one at a time. And people lose patience with you, you know, sometimes when that happens, but uh, you know, I make the most of it. So, uh, did you, I guess, uh, we're, we're already talking about it. Why don't, why don't we talk about, uh, what led to you starting up the studio? So starting up Witch Ape. I mean, was it more just cause you wanted to work on your own stuff? Were you kind of thinking with a, with an eye forward towards recording other things and like making that like a sustainable project was a natural outgrowth was, you know, what, what, what led to, what led to that becoming a thing? Well, um, I was really excited when four track cassettes came out oh, yeah. and I don't even remember what it was, what is like late, late seventies, early eighties. And I always been a tinkerer. So even before those came out, I would record, I had a blaster, a two cassette blaster, and I would record, uh, into a mic, into that that tape deck and then i would start bouncing to the other tape deck with a a small mixing board that i got from radio shack so that's kind of where i came from and i'm sure that's not unique to me but that's that's my story eventually um i've always been fascinated with it and uh you know i always paid really close attention to what the engineers were doing when i record with them i've worked with some really great people um, I'm blessed that way. And so I just always paid attention and I thought, you know, this is, this is something I'm really passionate about. I'd love to get good sounds. You know, I, I'm, as a guitar player, I'm a tweaker, you know, I love to move knobs. And as a drummer, I like the precision of a well-played part. So I think it seems like I had all the ingredients for this type of thing. And I, I listened. I'm a good listener. I've been told. So I think these are all elements that just kind of pointed me in that direction. And when uh, when the ass fell out of the economy worldwide in 2008, um, I was laid off from my accounting job, and I, you know, I just said, "Man, I got to I got to do something." So in 2006, I started tinkering around with Pro Tools. I got a Mbox Two and started messing with that, and I recorded the first. 12-inch split that Brothers of the Sonic Cloth did. Mm-hmm. With so band. We just played right before, yeah, right before you came in, actually. Yeah. Uh, under ha- underappreciated band, I feel. Uh, very interesting oh, thank band. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where my heart was and still is. Um, I, I recorded that into a eight-channel mixer, all the drums, and then into the left and right of an M-Box. Mm-hmm. I might be getting weird. No, no, that's fine. I mean, this ain't tape op. We're interested in that kind of thing, you know? Okay. (laughs) Go right ahead, please. Okay. 
so I did that, and then we started overdubbing, um, and then I mixed that out, and that's what became the first uh, song that we ever released with that split with Miko Dinoche on oh, yeah. Violent Hippie Records. Yeah, 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 and the awesome Miko Dinoche, too. What a, what a great band. Uh, yeah, love those guys. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I came from, and that I was very lucky with that, and uh However, I've made a lot of recordings and, you know, it, the growing pangs are always, you know, difficult. You know, you have days where you go, God, I suck at this, doing this. Why am I doing this? And and then other days you're like, I'm the best mixer in the world, you know? Right. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, I vacillate between those two unrealities and uh, you can hold both the of real them realities that I'm... And, uh... <laughs> for whatever What's that's that? worth. You can hold both ideas in your mind for whatever that's worth. Yeah. Yeah. And probably the real reality is that I'm somewhere in between both. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm into this. I mean, it, because I love it and I love working with the musicians and the people. And I, I always said that I speak, uh, three languages. I speak English I speak musician and I speak love. So <laughs> there you go. And, I mean, what more do you need? Yeah, I mean that's pretty good if you're talking about a spread, right? Right. And also, you know how to make records too, which not to put too fine a point on it is that's kind of an important thing, especially if you're someone that records bands. And it's if you're if you're if you don't know how to make a record, and you are you know excited to make a record and record your songs it's it's always nice to work with someone that you know has made a bunch of themselves and and knows the mechanics of that and how to do it beyond just you know rolling go <laughs> yep agreed <laughs> so uh and and speaking of which yeah i was playing some uh i, I played something also of the off the off the first record the first tad record which I w- wasn't thinking about it, but that's a that's 1989, right? That's what record is that, by the way? The God's Balls. There you go. Yeah, uh, I just like people to say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say one of the most audacious titles in the history of rock and roll, <laughs> <laughs> and definitely a case of you know I'm, I'm a big fan on this show, uh, probably to my own detriment of talking about getting a record because of the album cover or the album name uh, back in those halcyon days of just being in the record store and being like, Hey, that looks cool. Uh, And that was the one that I definitely picked up. I'm like, this is called God's balls. Like this has to be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, well, I'm glad that that came across that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was certainly the target market. So cool. (laughs) That's awesome. But, uh, so that was, uh, that was Jack. That was Jack and Dino that, uh, produced that. Right. That was, uh, and going again, going back in the way back machine, we're kind of, I would like to kind of go through all these and and talk about, talk about all that. And that was before the feeding frenzy. That was, uh, you know, you well before it. Yeah. And, You guys had a very articulate, from the outside perspective, you had a very articulated vision of your version of rock and roll. And it was a little noisier, a little crazier, a little edgier than uh, than some of the others. But I guess I would, what I really like to do is I like to get your perspective of, again, going to the Wayback Machine, all the way back to, to 89. And uh, tell me a little about about those times. Like, how did, how did Tad the Band come together? And what was 
what was the situation like at that time uh, in in your area of the world? Well, um, at that time, I had a job at a company called Muzak. Oh yeah, with a lot of other musicians from the uh, Seattle area, and uh, I was in the the cartridge cleaning room, and basically we would take about apart NAB cartridges that looked like uh, eight track tapes and uh, clean them, uh, part them out, salvage anything that was good, and then restock re, uh, them into the machine to help that company bring brain-numbing music to the world. Bring their vision to the world. <laughs> yeah, <what> is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not knocking the original writers, but the some of the stuff they do, you know, whatever. The, to, uh, to strip out any and all danger or interesting <laughs> elements from music and fill yeah. in the elevators and shopping centers of the world. Exactly. So I worked there. Uh, Bruce Pavitt was my supervisor. Oh, no kidding. Okay. And I worked in the room with uh, a guy named Mark Arm from Mud Hunting. Another young and, up and comer, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, at the time, he was in a band called Green River. And we we uh, were just doing this day job and, uh, you know, eking out a living at best. And so that's kind of the the, the, the environment. Uh, we were all good friends and we'd uh, hang out and go to shows together and it was good times. Um, so I forget what else you were getting at with, was it the environment of the time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in how that first record came to pass. I'm also inter- interested in, I, oh, I like, yeah, I like hearing together. from people. Yeah. Yeah. Just the tableau of, of what all was happening at the time when, when the band first started because, well, um, Kurt, uh, was playing in Bundle of Hiss right, right before that? Yeah, absolutely. And my band at the time that I was playing in before Tad was a band that was called H Hour, H hyphen Hour. Okay. And uh, I was the drummer in the band, and we had played with them Bundle of Hiss quite a few times at many different venues. And Kurt was quickly becoming a really good friend. I mean, we, we knew how to make make each other laugh, and um, so eventually, um, I went in, recorded a single with Jack and Dino with my tax return money from, uh, 1986, maybe 87. And I recorded three songs of which all of them eventually became released, but it was the first Tad Daisy ritual device single on clear vinyl that Sub Pop put out. And, uh, I originally was going to do a live situation where it was just me playing to recorded drums with my guitar. Obviously the drums that I played. Right. Um, I, you know, I do wasn't very minimal, into, just kind of get something together and yeah. Yeah. And I, I realized that, you know, uh, I didn't want to work with a drum machine, although I was very good at programming drum machines and I had a few of them. It just didn't cut it for me. I like the sound of real drums. So I realized quickly, is like, no, I can't. I, I want to tour this stuff, so how do I do it? And I, I thought to myself, well, I guess I'm going to have to get some musicians to do this. So right. Kurt was the first guy that I was talking to. And uh, 
he was interested and he knew a guy, a guitar player named uh, Gary Thorstenson. And uh, I knew that I had this, my on and this drummer from uh, way back and his name was Steve Weed. And he was in a band called Death and Taxes. And I always admired Steve's drumming. It was very unique. So I said, well, I know this drummer. Let's just get together and see what happens. So we did. And I had a bunch of song ideas. And we pretty much, uh, you know, ironed them out in literally about two, two weeks, two or three weeks. We recorded God's Balls, the record. Nice. That's how quick it came together. So, it's yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has an immediacy to it. Yeah. And it was really fun to do that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it's a, it was a great time. We're having a lot of fun. Still are. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Well, sure. You know, ideally that's, that's, that's supposed to be how it goes. Right. (laughs) Sure. So then you, you got, you, so you've got a record and there's a band, there's a, there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a band that exists and you're you're going through you're do, you're doing the things the bands do, and uh, so then what you got um, Salt Licks after that, which you record with Steve. Yep, Steve Albini. We uh, toured out to Chicago to get there with our equipment. Um, I had been a big fan of Rape Man and uh, um, you know all the things that Steve Albini had been behind. Uh, Big Black, of course, um, and I just thought, man, it'd be really great to uh, get to know that guy somehow. And Pavitt said, "Why don't you go out there and record with him?" And way to get that to know blew somebody. my mind. You know, <laughs> yeah. great idea, <laughs> right? Forward thinking, and so that's how that came about. It was actually his idea, and I was really stoked. And we found out that he was interested, so we made it happen. I think we recorded that EP in two days, maybe. Um, it was uh, second day was spent mostly on vocals and guitar overdubs, but it, it worked out. It was fun, and that was the one with Wood Goblins, of course. There's a, and there's a there's a video for that one, and that's a that's that one's cool. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's a good statement of intent uh, for yeah. for the for the band, <laughs> right? So then, you're de- and then you're doing some touring, right? After that, uh, is mm-hmm. that is that the timeline screwed up, or is that when you were going out with uh, to Europe? Was was that about the same? You know, I I don't remember when that was. Um, when we went out, what, I think we wound up going to Europe with uh, Nirvana in 1989. Oh, nice. Okay. Shortly after God's Balls came out. Um, I think that Salt Lake came after that tour, but, uh, yeah. And then there, a lot of touring happened after that. I mean, it seemed like we were out for nine months out of the year for a long time, uh, six or seven years right up through inhaler. But, uh, yeah, my, my recollection, my recollection is fuzzy at best at this time. You know? and, and that's totally fine. I mean, it's something <laughs> I'm not going to expect instant recall of something that happened that long ago, but right. Uh, but it also, you know, it seemed like again, from, from an outside perspective, it seems like people were kind of picking up on, even if it was just the more facile elements 
of like, oh, look at these crazy dudes from the Pacific Northwest. They're they're crazy lumberjacks, you know, like this, right. <laughs> that that vibe, which uh-huh. it just seems adorable now, of course. But <laughs> well, that's not a word I would use, but uh, yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> reductive, reductive, adorable in its uh, naivete, I suppose I should say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not really adorable as uh, as far as well, especially and again, it's it's hard to describe for. The younger listeners, but there was the UK press especially was prone to sensationalism, hyperbole, and kind of creating their own narrative for I don't know out of boredom. I'm not entirely certain what they would. Yeah, I think everybody was just trying, especially the uh, European press and particularly the British press were always, like you said, uh, they would sensational sensationalize things and uh, would go with uh, you know. I think it's just the the just the whole capitalism thing had fallen apart there, and there's a lot of people <laughs> fed up, and they wanted to, you know, I don't know where I'm getting it with this, but uh. well, it led to some very interesting, and, and again, interesting in the you know, may may your life be interesting proverb uh, <laughs> sort of aspects of how things were covered and and. In some cases, how they were perceived, but again, it, it seemed seemed like there was a lot of of, uh, of narrative imposed upon art rather than reporting in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, and there was always seemed to be like a, a pissing match for writers over there to see who could write the craziest shit and uh, you know and be the most creative with it. I think it was very competitive over there instead of factual. Yeah. That, that's a good yeah. way to put it. And, yeah. but I mean, ultimately, you know, you're, you're playing shows, people are responding to it. Like it's obviously that's gotta be something that's, you know, you know, you, when you play in bands, that's always a nice thing to have people respond, <laughs> respond positively to it. Yeah. And negatively too. I mean, yeah. we got some negative response, which is almost as golden, you know, in <laughs> some ways, be, even yeah. more golden, <laughs> right. you know? If you're pissing off the right people, then you know you're doing something. Right. You're evoking a reaction, at least. Exactly. Anything spring to mind from, from those days, those early days? Well, we had a show where, uh, in Austria, I think it was, where, not no, it wasn't Austria. It might have been Czechoslovakia or Yugoslavia, where they picketed outside of our show because of some reason. And I, I don't recall, but the show went on, but it was just really exciting for us you know it's like wow somebody even somebody gives a shit so much about our music in in a way that it moved them to do an action yeah they, that, they, they made them signs, out of their yeah. <laughs> that took took them out of their normal day-to-day whatever they do you know and that was pretty funny to us well sure and that's something where you get to hang that on your on your you know punk rock wall wall of fame Right, right. <laughs> you were picketed for <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah, I think it had something to do with uh, the uh, Ed Gein song that we had on God's Balls. Is that what they were just? They were anti cannibalism. <laughs> I, I think that they took it seriously. Oh, that, that that's what we were really about, you know. So uh, nuance, a lost art. You know, Christians have never been good at taking jokes. So yeah, they're, they're not known for their their. <laughs> Deep love of satire. <laughs> so fast forward a little bit. Let's talk about Eight Way Santa, which 
had a controversial album cover that mm-hmm. uh, that was that was a, that was a mite of, of legal trouble, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, rumor is you got it from a thrift store, right? With, it was like a found art situation. Yeah, well, the legal trouble started with uh, uh, Salt Lick as well with uh, Jack Daniels and uh, Cola. Oh right, that we had in yeah, our song. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, right. I, that's that's the one where. And eventually, that was uh, released on CD with that and uh, God's Balls as well. Uh, yeah, um, I guess the cola company didn't like that we were associating their pure and uh, uh, untainted <laughs> right. product with with drunk driving, which was not what we were doing. But that's the way whoever it was interpreted it. Right. Um, but. Yeah, that's they. I remember we got a document. We came into the sub pop office, and there's a document about the thickness of a phone book that said uh, "cease and desist" on this song. It's always a good sign when you get a you know document. Please don't associate our product with this anymore. Right. But whatever, you know. So that's kind of where that started. But yeah, Eight Ways Santa had some legal issues as well. one of them being that we had a found piece of artwork. Uh, it was uh, a photo of the cover. The original cover was found in a friend of ours uh, photo album that she got from a thrift store with the photo still in it um, from somebody who probably should have taken them out before they <laughs> right. Maybe should have checked donated them to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it, you know, if you're trying to get rid of your life from the past and yeah. you just don't want to mess with things. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's where that came from. And eventually the two people on the cover who had been divorced since then and one of them had become a uh, reformed member of society, uh, they decided that they are going to sue us and uh it really hurt the record because we had, it had already came out and uh we had to pull all the copies and oof. you know for an indie label to do that yeah it's uh, so early into the release that not that was very cost prohibitive and then secondly saw sub pop thank thank them they we came up with a quick photo cover to replace it and they they did it and put it out again but you know it kind of really hurt the momentum that that record was on its way to you know doing really well well that was and, uh, yeah that was that was 1991 too that was like right when everything was happening that was that was yeah like, the, the flashpoint in history where the weirdos were allowed out into the yeah. world right yeah before they figured it out before they figured out the formula and they just made their own right uh and yeah so the, oh go, go ahead. ahead no no i, I was just gonna say and there was a certainly an, an element of mystique with it right. again in those days. Cause like, Oh, it's a, the cover was, yeah, it was banned. Oh man. I heard it was. And then like this, you get this urban legend about how crazy the cover was. Oh, I heard you. It was just a bunch of dicks and like, you know, like what, you know, like whatever. And it's far more <laughs> salacious than it actually is because you know, when you have kids talking and you don't have, again, in the time before the internet, we could immediately just see and know everything at like two clicks. Like it was, there was like an urban legend about it for like a really long time. Right. Yeah. And there, you know, uh, we certainly loved and played into that mystique. And, uh, 
you know, it's it's all true, but there wasn't dicks on the cover, right? Yeah, unless you <laughs> speaking figuratively, but <laughs> yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say depending on on how you how you uh, term that, I suppose if somebody was a when it was an enemy, but yeah, one of the rumors was literally that there was that there was eight penises on the cover, and that was seriously something that somebody who probably should have known better uh, told well, me that's, at least. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one yet, but uh, you know, there's always kind of. Uh, strange, suggestive masking of artwork that could probably superimpose dicks in there. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm unaware of any dicks being in there, other than the two that were on the cover. And I'm just joking about that. They're they're nice people. Whatever. Dick dicks were implied, if not explicitly <laughs> yeah. mentioned. Right. Uh, so, all right. So, so let's again the timeline. This is '91. Everything's happening. Uh, but you're tied up with like, you know, but which, which ultimately it's a cool cover, but it's not like something that like get pulled from stores cover necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're in a situation where, you know, sub pop has to put out the, uh, they, they pull it and then there's like the, the, the photo cover, just the photo cover after that. And so that, and that's, um, you did that in Madison, right? That was a smart, smart yeah, studios with, uh, with Butch. The legendary Butch Vig, yeah. Uh, and solid record, very, you know, did you feel like it was a good representation of where the band was at Absolutely. the time? Yeah, I at think the that's time, uh, super solid. You know, we, we were in complete evolution the whole time we were a band. I mean, you know, God's Balls was kind of uh, defining for a lot of people what they thought of us. Uh, and, and actually... It's it's odd that uh, most people are aware of Inhaler more than anything, and I think that's probably because of the major label muscle that went behind right. that. But, it just gets, uh, gets, gets it in people's uh, radar a little more. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Butch was uh, amazing to work with. He's the... Uh, I mean, the guy's good at his craft, and I, I really liked working with him. We had a lot of strange things that were happening at that time, too. Uh, one of them being that we were touring all the way out to do that one as well. And at this time, Steve was getting tired of being on the road a lot, our drummer. And uh, he uh, actually quit during the recording and said he wasn't going to play anymore. And he just went up into the lounge and started drinking old styles. And, uh, but uh and I, I said, are you sure, Steve? This is, you know, we, we got to finish this. We're here to do this thing. This is a job. And, I, you know, I've, I guess as a drummer, I've always been kind of hard on drummers because they've got to at least meet or beat my expectations of what I can do. Right. So, <laughs> it's uh, A.K.A. the Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, whatever. I don't know what that means. but uh, Oh, Paul McCartney's a really great drummer. Like. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, he's actually, well, according to, sorry to hijack the story, but like according to a lot of, you know, insider like Beatles stuff, uh, he's actually technically a better drummer than Ringo. You know, I heard something about that, and I actually heard that he did play some parts where Ringo couldn't for the recordings. And apparently there are certain Uh, songs where he had very clear ideas what he wanted to do. and Right, and God bless that, you know. Yeah. You got to have a clear vision. And he is my favorite Beatle. He's I certainly, love Paul. I mean, he's certainly the most consistent. And I, th- I think, as, as this you know, slight Beatles digression, 
the only thing that you can kind of lay a hand on with with Paul stuff is that some of it has a tendency towards schmaltz if he's not being pushed, which is why him working with Lennon was so great because Lennon kind of brought the darkness and that led to that, that really... led to him doing things like helter skelter. You know, yeah. where it's, like, it's like, oh wow, yeah, that's where you need to be. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And but yeah, I mean, ultimately, like you know, very consistent and, and misunderstood, I think, by punk rockers mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of times as well. Where when you're, when you're talking about the Beatles, which of course there's that whole reflexively, oh, the Beatles suck. Like, really, you don't like songs? Okay, fine. Yeah, you're so right. edgy. Well, it you know, I grew up in. Uh, I'm pretty old, so uh, I was born in 1960. So I remember watching my brother and sister dancing to Beatles songs and. To me, that was normal. That was my formative years. I was hearing Beatles all the time. And they really changed what people call rock and roll for forever. I mean, it's it was amazing what they did. Um, and, you know, as a punk rocker myself, I, I wouldn't give them much credit either. But as I get older, I go, I'll hear s- some of their songs and go, holy shit. Yeah. This is fucking amazing, you know? Um and and not only that, you know, a mono recording with, you know, four mics. Right. Is what what they what they used. Uh, yeah. What what they use versus what's you know what's available just to the average, you know, freaking computer owner at this point. <laughs> you know, and what yeah. they did with it is kind of mind blowing and a perfect example of you know it not being, you know, the number of tracks or 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 the or the, the equipment necessarily, but like it's as much as what you put into it as anything else. Yeah, those engineers were, whew, man, I'd love to talk with those guys. Yeah, I mean, you think think about a, a song like, uh, what is it, Day in the Life or, or something along those lines where, mm-hmm. God, you just got like these like orchestral, uh, what do you call it, like, glissando or, or but, like, it's, it's, it's like avant-garde, really, right. like, if you, if you stop and think about it. And, and just, they were like, hey, let's try this. Oh, let's try this now, you know, like. Yeah, that wasn't a sampler. Those were actual people playing orchestra to a tape. <laughs> yeah, to the tape. <laughs> and they didn't have Pro Tools edits. Right. You know, they didn't have playlists to do it over and over until it's, you know, wrung all the life out of it. They had to get it right. All right, lads, here, here's your sheet music. Go, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you exactly. Got, then you got a... Um, uh, Oh, uh, what's this? Uh, George Martin, sir, sir uh, excuse me, Sir George Martin. Uh, you know, right. like doing, <laughs> just just doing doing his English thing, like holding it all together, being very nonplussed about everything. Right. Uh, where uh, I'm sorry, we're, we we were actually into something interesting before I digress to the drums. <laughs> oh, the drums, the drums. Yeah, playing the drums. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is Beatles talk with Tad and Conan. Uh, yeah. So yeah, actually, I, that would be I an mean, interesting podcast, but that's not what this is. Uh, right. So so yeah so yeah so the, so drums yeah you you want to make sure that the drums are are you know as a, as someone who plays drums yourself you got to make sure that it's up to your standards where you want it to be. Yeah, and and, and I was talking with Steve, and I said, you know, hey man, we got to finish this, and he says, nope, I'm done. I said, well, I'm going to go down and play the rest of the songs then. I think we had a couple left right? and he goes, yeah, whatever, you know? <laughs> and, uh, within 20 minutes of me 
trying a take on one of the songs, he came down and says, oh, okay, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> I think he came to his senses, you know, right, right. or either that or he just was not happy with my interpretation of the, of his drums. But, uh, yeah, it got finished. Well, he quit and yeah, we I mean, went at our that separate point, ways already, after that record. You're already at like a destination studio. You're like nowhere near a home. I mean, like that seems, I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to try to get anyone's head about it, but it seems like a weird move to. Well, I understand his perspective too. I mean, he had had it with probably me uh, being on the road, sleeping in a van, being uncomfortable. It's, yeah. you know, road life is not for everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like a musical cockroach, so I can just do that and not so much these days with with being uh, a little older i think it's hard my days of waking up with cat litter in my face <laughs> stuck to it right. from sleeping on the floor and uh critters crawling across me trying to sleep are over hopefully for good you know yeah that's that's for those that continue on with it i think there's a certain dispensation for uh if not comfort an absence of misery yeah, to, to just in, if you actually are going to keep it sustainable and uh, move forward with it, you know, once you're out of your like twenties or whatnot, you're like, you know what, mm, we're not going to do that. Well, that's funny you mentioned twenties because the band came together when I was twenty six. So, I mean, all these, I, I, you know, I'm almost I, I turn sixty next year, so it's like. <laughs> The touring for me, I was a latecomer, and I just started picking up guitar when I was 26 years old. Oh, no kidding! So, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I had an I had a Ibanez Blazer bass that I would tinker on, you know, uh, this whole time. But guitar was a whole nother animal, and I, I thank uh, Steve Albini and Butthole Servers for that inspiration to play guitar. You know. Well, and the. What I always thought was interesting about the Tad stuff, too, is it kind of seemed just as much to come from, you know, the weirder, cooler, more aggro side of, of classic rock as it did from, from punk rock. Um, you know, thinking of things like, you know, almost like Sir Lord Baltimore and like, you know, uh, the more kind of cool Alice Cooper band stuff, like things along those lines. And, you know, just put through your own filter and your own lens yeah and now that seems fairly commonplace but there was definitely something of a division for a very long time until bands uh such as yourself came through and kind of knock 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 those barriers down and was like hey hey everyone there's some really cool stuff in like in some of these songs and we're gonna do our interpretation of that and put it through our own filter and i, I thought that was interesting because I don't know. Anyway, for a bunch of dumb punk rockers like myself, it was it was pretty fascinating and opened up some doors. And I thought that was uh, very cool. That, and also something that, frankly, you don't get enough credit for, if if I dare say so. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I I think you know what a lot of bands that did in this period of time you're talking about eighty nine through ninety five or whatever they were coming out with they their roots in not only. Um, vocally but uh, musically and uh, you know my roots are you know Beatles and I have a heavy jazz influence because I went to school studying music in uh, college and I also had the uh, I loved the energy and immediacy of punk rock and uh, you know it, it, I, I always felt that 
I like what I like and I'm not afraid, you know, it, it seemed like punk rock in a way was kind of like, Oh, you can't like metal bands if you're into punk rock. And I, I always thought that was kind of a, a silly, uh, rule. Um, and maybe this is just me thinking that it was a rule, but I, I never, I, I like metal. I've always liked metal. You know, I grew up with, uh, the best Birmingham metal bands, you know, or, you know, it's hard to beat, you know? And, uh, and metal's kind of got a bad name because of all the foof and right. the hair of the, the, the 80s. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, that's not metal to me anyway, you know, so whatever. Well, and it's it's something where when, when you talk about folks being with punk rock, I, I, I think that it's something where for a lot of people within punk rock, the idea of like trying to impose rules on it, like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is, and it was not punk rock, you know, the Tim Yohannan definitional school <laughs> right. of, of, uh, you know, column a column B punk rock, not punk rock is so right. limiting and absurd because, you know, a band like the screamers is just as much punk rock as, uh, you know, black flag or, uh, you know, the birthday party or, and it's, it's, I don't think puritanical definitions advance art. Me either. I, I don't think definitions advance art, and, and, and unless it's it's an inspiration to move away from a definition. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're using that as your your flag to to go past. To be right. Like, okay, There's a compass not... on this now, so I'm going to get off the trail. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's. It's interesting how much that is tends to be a unifying factor for most artists of any worth, whereas ones that may not feel that way are never going to openly advocate for a rule set, but they will definitely follow it at the mm-hmm. same time. Right. It's interesting and, how that know, works. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that in music, there's uh, very few trailblazers and there's a lot of uh, monkey see monkey do's out there and unfortunately what uh gets pumped out there in in the masses and shoved down everybody's throat is kind of monkey see monkey do stuff that and these bands are great in their own name but i think that there's uh they've came from somewhere they've had an influence some from somebody and that they don't acknowledge you know, and I, I've always been very, not that I'm better than anybody, but I've always been very vocal in where I got my inspiration from because I saw it as being something that was, I was very passionate about. Um, like for instance, you know, Pink Floyd, I love Pink Floyd, Beatles. I've never been a, 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 a Stones fan though. I mean, I get it. I understand that people like them. <laughs> it's just not for me you know but you know it took me uh, uh it took me until my late late 20s before i finally kind of like okay cool I, I i get this like i i came really late to the game with the rolling stones after after a long time and and i dig them now but it, it was interesting that yeah that stones didn't really appeal to me for a really long time i would be like i'd rather just listen to the stooges you know this yeah for sure <laughs> And there's a thing about them is that, uh, 
you know, they probably don't ever let on to it. I don't know. I don't keep track of them, but they, they got all their stuff from, you know, Oh, totally. They started as a blues cover band. players yeah, in the yeah. United States, yeah. you know, I mean, that's all that's from there. And, um, you know, they're white, so they couldn't, you know, really emulate it to a T, but, and who would want them to, but, uh, yeah, it comes out sounding like them, and that ends up being their sound, is because it's them trying to be blues dudes and and right. R and B artists, and yeah, well, not rip off necessarily, but like they just they love that music and wanted to play music like that. Sure, and it came out sounding like the Rolling Stones. Right, exactly. Uh, so getting getting back to where we're at, the record. Uh, I'm talking about Away Santa here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack Pepsi on there. And you alluded to the uh, earlier, a uh, certain cola manufacturer was not super psyched about having the their logo used for that, right? Yeah, I, I think that was more it than anything. And that's really odd to me because, I mean, you have all these indie bands that, you know, have used corporate logos and such as Urge Overkill used the Union yeah. 76, Melbourne's with the Mattel symbol. Yeah. Um, and the list goes on and on. It's like... It's pretty common at the time. I mean, it's, it was almost... Because it, it was considered like a fair use situation. Right. As long as you don't associate their product with drug abuse, I guess. But And then there was that... Whole I, I don't know where the hell that came from. Right. There's I don't know whole, who thought that... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, there was, was that, say whole, that whole negative land lawsuit about, about this. I just wanted to say that that was, that was like yeah, something I, around that time. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know who thought that was, you know, even anything that they should be concerned with, you know, as far as, you know, this weird band from the Pacific Northwest is pissed off somebody so much at a corporate level, which I'm very proud of, by the way, that they had to pay lawyers to come up with a document the size of a, a phone book to to really mess with it you know it's 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 kind of funny well sure and like like i was saying you know it's, anytime you get a gigantic stack of paper from somewhere it's rarely a good sign yeah, it's, it's usually you're doing something right, kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just don't go to jail or hurt anybody. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. all we ask. Exactly. So, and um, Away Santa, one of the songs is on that um, oh, that Cameron Co- that Cameron Crow movie, uh, the singles singles. Mm-hmm. It's in the movie, but it's not on the soundtrack. Right. Right. And, and we're kind of like, you know, what the fuck with that? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Every, every other freaking band's on there. Why not us? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's politics there. I'm not going to get into it. Sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool that that song was used to blow out the uh, windows of a car with the speakers from our song. Yeah, it's I mean, a great that's, scene. <laughs> that's probably the only thing I remember, you know? <laughs> For me, but yeah. you know, hopefully that's not egocentric. No, no. It, I mean, like it's well, and I, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't watched it recently, so I'm not sure how well it's aged. But for me, it's like it's one of the most memorable songs, like in that whole movie, which is you know, it, as one of those movies that's meant to sort of be emblematic of its times. There's you know, lots of bands 
from that era that that are in there that are like definitional bands. But I mean, I I'm hard pressed to think of another song that like has an important scene that's like notable where it's associated with that movie. And I, I, I don't know. I think that's it's it was bizarre that it was not on the soundtrack. Yeah, and you know the Melvins being such a huge part of what was influential in the early days for a lot of bands from here. Um, I, I, I found it really odd that they wouldn't even be included, but. Oh yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Huh? Jesus. Those guys have been at it for so long and so solid. And so, you know, amazing. Uh, it was, you know, to me, it was insulting. I, they probably don't give a shit, but <laughs> right. Well, it is, you, you'd like to think that, yeah, you'd like to think that they would give a little respect to to those that have done that work, but well, apparently not. Right. Well, they're on to bigger and better things. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, whatever. who the fuck knows about that movie now, and who would care? Well, it's interesting because some some stuff has. has lasted and some stuff hasn't. And for whatever reason, I've, you know, it's obviously we're, we're living quarantine life. I've been watching like a lot of movies this last weekend. There were, there was a run of what I can only call uh, Gen X greatest hits of <laughs> movies. You know, there, right. there was like clerks and like Wayne's world and, and all these movies are like, all right, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'll watch this. And, and by the way, I think, Clerks is an incredible example of a movie that has held up, is still a great film, has some of the most stilted dialogue delivery you'll ever hear, and is clearly like a first film, like an art house film, but really holds up. Uh, you know, I've never seen that. i got to check that out. And another thing I haven't seen either that I'm aware of is uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks we were is, always out on tour during that. Which is crazy, because that was such associations with the, the Pacific Northwest, but Twin Peaks is pretty fantastic if what i will say is if you watch it um first season's impeccable second season you can skip the vast majority of it to save your time Uh, except for the end there's like there's like the reveal episodes and the first couple ones and then you can just watch like the last episode and you're good the Mm -hmm. movie and the recent series the twin peaks the return which is more crazy and uh artistic and more lynchian for lack of a better term it's all mm-hmm. it's all worth watching it's actually one of my favorite shows of all time so you've you hit on an important point with that for me a bit uh oh yeah but clerks really great movie excellent dialogue it's very clear that almost everybody is like a first-time actor and it really works even though <laughs> even though like you're like wow these people are not, some of these people are not great at acting, but this movie like actually really works. So it was interesting to see where, and where I'm getting with this is that some movies worked still. And some, I was like, mm, all right, fine. And I singles was not one of them. I'm surprised that it wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just, it was a Saturday. I was taking a day off from doing the show. First one for like three weeks or something along those lines. <laughs> right. And it just happened to be, able, and then I, I realized after the third movie, I'm like, is this this is like Generation X, like you know the film festival? Like what's going on here? <laughs> the mainstream film festival. The mainstream Gen X, exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and and you know whatever. Like I'm the one sitting here passively watching it, so I'm going to talk that much. 
you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I was doing. I was doing it for everyone else. You know, like thanks for taking that one. Yeah, for the I team. Took, one, took one for the team. Watch Wayne's World. I was like, hey, this is this is this is actually holds up. Like it's very self aware, but eh, it's, it's it's okay for mainstream mainstream movie. You know, right. Uh, okay, so do 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 do. Okay, we're back at. Um, okay, so that was Eight Way Santa. You got. Uh, you've got a drummer exiting exiting the scene. Just burnout, right? It's something where you guys have been hitting it really hard. Uh, so that's uh, what ninety three that inhaler comes out. Mm-hmm. So you got got a couple years in between there. What happens? Uh, what happens between Eight Way Center and Inhaler? Well, uh, a couple, a couple, three years, and uh, many drummers that we went through. Um, we actually worked with our friend uh, Lisa Smith, who was uh, in Dickless. Yes, um, forgotten to hit by history for a lot of people, but cool uh, we love her. Yeah. She's still, you know, one of our faves. Um, she didn't want to do it though, and she suggested to us uh, Reynolds Washam. He was, awesome. uh, from Scratch Acid uh, and a few others. Yeah, I uh, I actually had Ray on the show. Oh man, like five years ago, something along those lines. Yeah, he's a cut up, huh? Yeah, what a what an awesome dude. Yeah, and great drummer too. I mean, Jesus, Scratch yeah, Acid, amazing drummer, great man. Like, wow. Yeah, amazing drummer. Definitely got that swing thing going. Yeah, um, and a swagger. And uh, he was fun to tour with, um, but uh, you know, then a couple others that you know really didn't work out. That really never, to my knowledge, did anything. But uh, then we wound up with a guy named Josh Cinder, who was the accused. from a band called The Accused, yeah. and uh, he took us almost to the end of the band. And, and he was on Inhaler, and he he came from that. Uh, Splattercore metal background, and you know, again, the band was an evolution, and he was a part of that. Um, but that guy was fun to tour with too, man. He was he had what I call the crazy energy that comes from nowhere, and he was like <laughs> unstoppable. I mean, so much shit got broken as far as symbols, uh, chairs. Uh, back room you know <laughs> he had a lot of energy let's just say and that's how it would come out is physically but uh, yeah it wound up going with him almost to the end uh, he was on inhaler recorded that with with uh, let's see uh, a lot a lot of people think that uh, Jay Mascus did the producing for that record but to be honest all jay did was say to us at this original studio we booked is like no we need to get out of here because this guy's equipment is not up to snuff it's not maintained Mm. so we went to uh studio d in sausalito and recorded there with an engineer named larry brewer who lived in tacoma very good engineer and jay to my knowledge um that was about it aside from uh at one point he took me aside and said dude you got to go easy on josh because you're you know 
he's 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 doing really well and uh you're just kind of hard on him as far as the parts you know and there again that's me being the profession perfectionist drummer and you know what you want and you can play the drums and so you have that not only the lexicon but you have like the ability and you're you know it's not the new the new kid but you know he's kind of the new kid no and, and, and to his credit i mean he is an amazing drummer i mean he is probably the only guy i've ever pl- heard play a double kick that can actually play it right right mm-hmm. and evenly and punchy and heavy uh aside from maybe dale dale crover but um oh i know who you're talking about yeah <laughs> yeah you know that guy. <laughs> i know very well <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah he he's a. Uh, he he is amazing. Um, let's see where are we going with this. I oh, so, so it's a lot of people think Jay Maskus produced it, but it was oh yeah yeah Larry so, Larry Brewer and you went to to D. Yep, and uh, he that's one of the things that Jay did. Um, that's number two and number three. Um, Jay would sit in the couch and not really have much to offer as far as production mm-hmm. because he was napping most of the time under his sunglasses. <laughs> But he would come alive when it was time to eat, <laughs> and I think we were taking away taking him away from his TV watching mostly. He loved right, soap right. operas, and he did get uh, one of the Deal brother Deal sisters in to do a backup vocal on one of our songs. So he actually did four things that I feel he earned his pay on. Fantastic! But the rest, I think his fee was way way out of line <laughs> <laughs> versus versus uh work com- work completed and tasks versus uh, right right what, what do they say roi yeah return on investment exactly. yes exactly <laughs> uh so okay so that's and that's inhaler mm-hmm. and that's uh warner brothers yeah, that was giant, giant Warner giant. Brothers. Okay, right. Uh, that was that was uh, on what the book uh, Hitman called the Poison Dwarf, uh, the guy that put out the Eagles and shit. He we were on his label for a short time. Oh wow! Okay, I think uh, <laughs> Poison he, Dwarf <laughs> he got wind of us with the Bill Clinton poster with the big doobie and decided it was time to call it a day for us which we were on tour with Soundgarden in Europe at that point. Right. And plus we had a, a, a really uh, not good manager who was, you know, trying to take advantage of us monetarily the whole time. And we wound up catching him red handed, trying to empty our bank account while we were on tour. And uh, so he got fired and it, that was probably a little, all those things, you know, most bands would call it a day. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's like, even like one of those things would be a lot, but to have all that happening, it seems... It seems... It, yeah, I mean, but, you know, uh, music is what held us together and and uh, what we're all about. So, I mean, outside uh, conditions were never really an issue. Until the end, it kind of became started becoming an issue. I think when we got dropped from from Giant... Uh, Josh was kind of losing his momentum with us, and he thought, you know, uh, who knows? No, it was actually when we got dropped from Electra right after that, we had a, a deal with Electra for... Infrared Riding Hood? 
Infrared Riding Hood, yeah, which he played on. And we did that with Indino at uh, Robert Lang Studio in uh, uh, North Seattle. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of those ones. And, and again, it's, it's the CD the cd era but it's if i remember right that's one of the ones that has like a like a long blank section uh in one of the in one of the tracks you know where there's all that empty space that, that, that would happen in there it was that near, near the end i can't remember which long it is but yeah it was the hidden track the hidden track yeah thing. it's uh which is something that's kind of lost to time as far as how people listen to music now but uh it's it's something that the idea would be you'd keep it playing and then, you know, you go do something else, make a sandwich and then suddenly, Oh, another song would come up. <laughs> yeah. Like what the hell is that? What is this? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's the one that's got the, uh, it's like the, like, is it a uh, electron microscope? That's, it's like a bug. Like on the cover. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty it's cool. An electron guy. microscope photo of a carpet mite. And, uh, we thought it looked like, uh, of a, a strange vague version of liberty's face you know the uh, statue of liberty and liberty island because of the way it looked and i i thought it was amazing and we'd always been you know kurt and i danielson and i specifically were always into um ufo phenomenon and you know always fascinated with the thought of uh extraterrestrials and sure we yeah. thought you know who says that isn't an extraterrestrial, you know, they may have came in from a meteor hitting, you know, our planet. Maybe those were, the, maybe that's where a lot of this life came from, you know? I mean, who can, who can say, right? Yeah. Yeah. I sure as hell can't. <laughs> and so that's, and that ends up being, that ends up being the last tad record. I mean, did you, did you have a feeling with the way that all worked out that that was sort of the end of the line? Did that feel like something that was like, okay, this is starting to spin down or was it, uh, what, what was, what was the mindset in the band and, and where you were at? Well, we had, uh, parted ways with Gary and Thorstensen. Um, I, I take uh, full responsibility for this and it was a bad decision that we moved apart from him. And, uh, he wound up not being on, infrared riding hood and i i was prepared to i mean i learned so much from this guy on guitar that i i felt like i was prepared to carry the guitar torch all by myself and i don't know what the hell the motivation was but it uh i i regret that to this day that we did move apart from him i wish he was in to the bitter end right but uh you know, that's, it was, uh, it's what we did. And maybe that was part of it. You know, you, you take one of the essential elements away from a uh, mix and it's, you know, it's, it's not the same. So I feel very proud of that record. However, you know, I felt like I had gotten to a point in my guitar playing where I was able to handle the duties of, uh, whatever I was doing and, but, uh, you know, that was one of the things that kind of started leading down that road of uh, us moving apart. And, you know, drugs had a lot to do with it, too. Me speak, speaking specifically from my standpoint, it's like I was doing way too much uh, weed and coke and crystal. And, you know, that stuff was just, you know, it took me down a really dark road 
whole smorgasbord of debauchery. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought that, you know, I, I remember thinking, you know, when I was doing Crystal, it's like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. I feel amazing, you know, and, right. you know, two, two or three days later, you come down, you know, and you've been up for that length of time and you, you, the body stops, the mind stops. So you got to recharge. And there were brief moments of clarity, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the Tad band as it was at that point, Gary never really got into that shit. In fact, he, he was, he was just satisfied with a beer or two every now and then. And God bless that. Cause I wish I would have been, but I was heavy into tequila as well. And, you know, just a mishmash of bad things. Uh, and that I'm only going to speak from my perspective. Sure, sure. I mean, well, of course. Other guys yeah, will yeah, <laughs> obviously have their own uh, perspective on that. It's like and, the Rashomon effect, right? Everyone has different it, takes on what happened. Yeah. And who's to say that my reality was even a reality? You know, I'm just speaking from experience. But, uh, yeah, that there wasn't actually uh, another record that came after that with our... The CMRAP single, uh, right? officially yeah our officially last drummer mike mongrain and uh mike was an, a, another amazing drummer and eventually he got sick and tired of um just the things that went with all the extracurricular uh bad drug juju that kurt and i were into and he he quit as well because he got sick of it and rightly so and that was pretty much the end of the Tad Band. Uh, that was 99, I think. So then yeah. you've got, and of course, you know, that's a, it's quite the run. Uh, you know, it's about 10 years all in. And then yeah. after that, you have Hog Molly. Yeah. And that, that, was, uh, that was a fresh thing for me. You don't have I mean, the you don't have the same. It's not under the same masthead. It doesn't have the same identity. You can kind of try I, try something a, different. Not have that baggage necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I I had become uh, I was still drinking a little bit, but I wasn't doing all the uh, the chemicals anymore. Right. I, mean, I was still drinking and doing weed, but uh, you know I was still pretty miserable as a person. Um, at that time because of all that shit. But yeah, I got together with some friends and, uh, Slimmy who was in, uh, that's a Monster fish by the driver. way, the, 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 right. Is that, that's what it's named after. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, Atlantic fish of some sort. I, I, I literally only know that because my sister-in-law's a, into fishing. Yeah, <laughs> like I discovered that like last last year. I'm like, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either, and uh, until we got well into it, and the bass player I was playing with, Tyson, told me that that's he pretty much came up with the name. But uh, yeah, that was uh, we recorded again with Jack and Dino at a place called Private Radio in uh, Fremont, Seattle, and. Uh, that was a smaller studio and it was really fun to do. It's more of an up-tempo type of feel, more punk heavy and somewhat, you know, dirty. 
but uh, yeah, it was fun stuff. So uh, Billy, uh, well, Cool Arrow puts out the record, right? And the band, the the band's around for a bit. When, what ended up what ended up shaking out with uh, with Hog Molly? Like what what led to Hog Molly kind of petering out? Well, um, that's I got to think about that. What did happen there? You know, I, I think that uh, it just wasn't going anywhere for, for all of us, you know? Um, well, that's also a weird time for, I mean, that's like what, like 99, 2000, right? That's that's kind of like not not a great time for that style of music. It's almost like a little right. bit too late, a little bit too early. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, well, yeah. you know, uh, we, we were touring and it, it was... Uh, you know, here and there, but, uh, the label, um, didn't want to give us the kind of support while we're out that we thought we deserved. Right. And, uh, so we pulled the plug on one of the tours and, uh, pretty much severed our ties with the label. And then it just never went anywhere. I mean, we kept playing for a little while, but, uh, Marty went on, who was not even on the record. We got a second guitar player. Marty went on to uh, play with the Super Suckers and do his own uh, country solo stuff that he was doing. And uh, Ty just kept on doing what he was doing, and Slimmy moved on to doing some other bands. But uh, at that point, I had uh, gotten really miserable in my life and got really depressed and was even becoming thoughts of suicide and uh so i had a girlfriend at the time that talked me into going and seeing uh seeing a doctor and i couldn't afford to so i went to a sliding scale clinic and they asked me questions and said oh yeah you're definitely depressed so they gave me some uh, anti-depression meds that were from World War II. And he said, it might be a year or so before we find something that works for you. Oh, man. And I just felt like, you know, I was living in hell. So I just said, fuck that. I'm not yeah. going to do it. Just white knuckled through it and eventually wound up getting hooked up with the self-help group that uh, changed my life. That's awesome. Well, and, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's a vulnerable position to be in. Yeah. it's a it's heavy so is that something do you do you think that was something that was always there or is that something that was you know maybe it was covered up by the with 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 the partying and the drug use or was it something that was exaggerated by the the events like where where have have you ever gotten to the bottom of that i mean as someone that you know (laughs) that's my own dark passengers to speak of as well i'm always curious uh, gotten to the bottom of what, what I'm not sure I understand what you're asking me for, you know, when is this, is depression something you suffered with your entire life or is it something that kind of uh, came together like as a late, late in life as an adult? Well, I think it's something that I've, I've kind of always had to an extent and, you know, people do things that they think they'll find, try to find ways to not be depressed. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of the ways I tried were chemicals and booze, uh, 
and, and it never really provided a long-lasting relief. But uh, yeah, I mean, depression's a scary thing. It takes a lot of lives, you it know, is. and it 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 could take uh, anybody with a, if they're not careful. And there's a lot of people we both know that uh, mutually that have suffered and died as a result of not being treated yeah. in a way that or or finding a solution shall we say um but yeah i mean i think i've always been kind of depressed i grew up uh in a lower middle class family in southern idaho with uh you know i was a fat kid to begin with and i was always getting grief about that and it, it was probably exacerbated when I was taking my first instrument to grade school. It was a E flat tuba, you oh, know. Man. So there's all the all the shit that goes with that. Yeah, I was gonna say which which is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get that's... depressed if you're the loner and you know the nerd and the kid that doesn't fit in. And you're and, hauling uh, your tuba around. Yeah, and you you, you kind of get an attitude at that point. And uh, I was that kid and. I I am so glad I went through all that though. It really shaped me in a way that made me uh, tough as nails and uh, you know uh, un- unstoppable and unbeatable in my pursuits of goals. You know. Yeah, it gives you that definitional sort of statement of intent that you you yeah. know you know, <laughs> you know what you're kicking up against, right? Yeah. But I think you hit on an important point that I mean I it's, I mean it's a fact that especially in the USA as in everywhere, but especially bad here, there's a lot of folks that just deal with undiagnosed depression and, and mental health issues. And it's somehow still, still stigmatized in a way. And, and how the discussion is, is, you know, what is making you depressed versus, <laughs> you know, getting to the, the cause of like, Oh, you are, you know, this type of depression. And, and, cause, cause sometimes it isn't a lot of times it isn't an event necessarily it's it's like something that was there and you know the events just send someone down a spiral where it's more noticeable exactly to someone yeah. that just it, like oh why didn't you just do some cardio well you know it's <laughs> you can be yeah, depressed to do that cardio, dude. <laughs> yeah if it was that simple uh you know no to be depressed as long as they did cardio yeah <laughs> be but, depressed uh, and doing cardio at the same time it's great <laughs> yeah i mean i know some people who are severely depressed that do all that shit all the time and yeah. always have they've right. been athletic their whole life and they're still some of the most depressed people out there you know yeah. uh, but you know it's it's vastly misunderstood and there's not enough information and uh, uh, or enough uh, real data to draw on because you know the, the, the most the people who might be able to provide the best data wind up you know doing the ultimate sacrifice you know right they, they never yeah they're, they're never gonna have the opportunity to be like a, a control case or the uh, you know like whatever the, the how they ever they collect the data because of the nature of the sickness yeah i i think it you know philosophically speaking i think everybody goes through uh the same amount of torture in their life i don't think anybody's unique to torture i think that everybody's got their shit and their issues and it just might be different it might show up in a different way but um you know it's it's really comes down to how you deal with it and if you have some support to get through it because western medicine is not our friend at this point on any on any level as far as i'm concerned not just with that yeah you're right (laughs) 
I mean, but, uh, I'm laughing, know. but it's not funny. It's 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 just it's. <sighs> no, I, it, you got to laugh at it. You know, it's just so horrible and Bleak. weird. Yeah. <laughs> and what else can you do? I mean, we're not laughing at the sufferer. We're laughing at the situation, and you know, maybe that's something that makes humans what they are. But. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. So, so talking me on the path to brothers of the sonic cloth which i think was a as i mentioned earlier a wildly underrated band yeah thank you um well that that came about because uh running back a few years prior to that um i had a series of horrible jobs i was dealing with even into my uh, sobriety life uh, one of them was being a uh, sales representative for um, trying to get people to refinance their homes it, and being a part of that. Ooh. I didn't know at the time, but being yeah, a part of the knew. subprime yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I failed miserably at that job. I didn't get one sale, and I was doing it for like, I don't know, six months. And uh, just you know, eating at food banks and whatnot. It was, uh, I had this shitty car. I'd drive out to the office and they wanted me to be there. I couldn't do it from home, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a special, <laughs> a special hell that was kind of like office space, if you ask me, but not quite as funny. Right. Right. And with, yeah. With, with all, all humor removed. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, and I, I remember, you know, getting off work one day and just fucking screaming at the top of my lungs in the car going, what the fuck? What the fuck? What am I supposed to do? You know, what am I supposed to do in this life? And, you know, I, I come to the, the conclusion that, uh, previously I thought that if you commit suicide, you were weak and, you know, thanks for removing yourself from the gene pool type of attitude. Right. 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 The, but the, that the, the was, attitude that normally comes from young men, let's be clear about that. <laughs> that yeah. That are coming out of sure. position without empathy or just somebody who's ignorant. And yeah. And, has and never been that way. Full you know? disclosure. But, um, if you talk to me at 17, that's probably was probably my mindset, you know? Right. Yeah. Cause, and you know, whatever reason, but, uh, at that point I, I knew it wasn't an option for me and that I was going to ride this, wherever it's going to go and it just took time um but uh a lot why i'm saying this is because a lot of the inspiration for this record the brothers record came from all these things and yeah. i actually quit playing guitar for a few years i got a girlfriend who i fell madly in love with and i moved to San Diego to be with her because I sure as hell didn't have anything going on in Seattle. And she wound up being my wife. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's been completely a joy in my life in so many ways. Um, she is, she knows more music than I do. I mean, she says, I can't believe you don't know about this band. And, you know, she'll give me grief about it for a week or so. And then we'll move on to another one that I don't know about. But, uh, yeah, I quit playing guitar, quit making music, and I was just enjoying being in San Diego in the sun. You know, that was really huge for me. It was like, fuck, this is great. I'm in heaven. You know, it's warm every day. 
I'm not freezing my ass off. I don't have to put on a, a coat to go outside. And, um, I just did a lot of work on myself, uh, in a spiritual manner and, uh, did a lot of reading and reflecting and it brought to surface a lot of things that, uh, became important to me and it helped me to let go of a lot of things that weren't important to me. And did you so find that story, the, uh, the, the change up in location kind of help with the mindset too? Absolutely. Yeah. That was huge for me. I mean, I, I, I probably had seasonal affective disorder from here in right. living in Seattle. Um, you know, vitamin D deficiency. It's a real thing, man. Is, yeah. It's not good for, <laughs> if you're predisposed to uh, depression, that's not a good place to be. But I love the smell of the Pacific Northwest, uh, the moisture in the air, the smell, the greenery. It's just no, like no place else on earth except for, you know, a few others, I guess. But it's uh, it's very yeah. unique. It's, it's always I've always had a special affinity for it. And yeah, it's it's, it's uh, but it is something where, you know, if if that's something that affects you and it affects a lot of people, whether they realize it or not. You know, there's a yeah. reason why, like, the suicide, suicide rate in that region is so high. Yeah, it, it's difficult. But, uh, and, I, and I wonder how the, the Native people got along here, you know? I mean, I guess if you're born into this environment, I mean, you're probably better equipped. But I always think about that, uh, you know, our, our tribes here that grew up here for thousands of years. But, uh, yeah, I mean that was the inspiration for brothers and finally i was able to i picked up a guitar again um cheesy story but true i was listening to uh, a song came on the radio when i was driving down the 805 in san diego and it was uh, war pigs by black sabbath and it brought me to tears and i go fuck this is why i've always played music this moved me you know um so I decided I needed to start playing again, and so that started the uh, the motion and the juice, uh, and started writing those songs from 2005 on until it was released. It took that long to write that first record. Well, and it's coming from you know a very very heavy place emotionally but <laughs> the music is also pretty heavy as well like it's, it's, it's uh, you know i don't know if you again don't want to put a square peg in a round hole but it definitely had more elements. i'll take that yeah <laughs> a little, little doomier almost uh, mm-hmm. you know if one was going to be reductive and slap a label on it yeah right but that's it i mean there was a vitality to it that it's it seemed like things were coming at it from a very fresh perspective uh from, from mm-hmm. the outside from the outside world. And I mean, did you feel the weight of what you had done before with that? Or was it more just like with the rediscovery of, I mean, just playing music again at all. Did it, was it like an easier path? Like what, what, where was, where was your mind on this path back in with brothers? Well, the, the music, the subject matter, the feelings, the lyrics, all were, uh, quite a catharsis for me and i felt like i lost a ton of spiritual weight right with that record and it was very freeing and uh i mean i i can say now and be genuine about it i'm a happy guy i fucking love getting up in the morning 
I, I get up at three thirty, four in the morning most days and uh, get shit done. And that wasn't the guy I was, you know, a few years previous to that. Right, probably going and, to sleep around that time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, me too. I used to do that too. It was like yeah, yeah. Kit, Tim File to this day, he wakes up at five in the afternoon and goes to bed when the sun comes up. Yeah. You know? And I keep thinking he's got a decrepit painting in his house and he might be a vampire, but I can't prove it. <laughs> he certainly got the hair. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Good on him. But, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry about that. The, um, so, talking about doing the... the uh, and this is this would be like a small footnote, but this is just very interesting to me. Just it, the one-off thing, I think it's a one-off thing that you did with the the fellows of uh, Akimbo and and Black Elk. Read like the Black Flag tribute. Yeah. Well, I mean that that was so. First of all, interest of full disclosure, uh, both the Akimbo and and Black Elk folks are just old friends of mine for from touring and uh, and whatnot, and and love them dearly. But I remember. I remember when that happened, just being very jealous that I couldn't go up there and see that because I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And again, for folks not aware of the timeline, there was, Black Flag wasn't, quote, unquote, back at that point. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's hard to believe now because Greg Ginn's like running around with the uh, I don't even know if that the shoeless drummer's playing with him anymore. Or who the hell's in that circus? Uh, right. Nor was there, you know, Flag with all the rest of the guys and Kurt Morris, like it was, it was, it's not the like black flag was, the, you know, some unknown band obviously, but there was not the ability to see any of these songs played in any capacity whatsoever. And I just thought that was such an interesting confluence of cool things that you got together with those dudes uh, to do this. So how did that come to pass? How was it? Was that cathartic? Was it, you know, was it cool? I mean, the pictures looked amazing. It was fun. Uh, that came about because uh, I think uh, John Wisniewski or uh, Nat Dam got a hold of me somehow. And they asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And I said, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, I've never been good at playing other people's songs. And uh, I've always felt that it's, you know, best left to the original player. But, uh, I, I mean, I jumped at the chance because... Akimbo was one of my, oh. I, 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 we had a space down the, the hall from them where they practiced when I first heard them way before they were putting out records. And I, I was hearing what was coming out of that room and I was like, holy shit, this band kills. Yeah. And it's, it was, so I, it was amazing seeing them like, and they always killed it, but to see people kind of gradually over the years sort of kind of catch on, and, mm -hmm. you know, to go from like, Hey, we're at the show with 15 people to like, Oh, we're at the show with 20 people, like so on and so on. <laughs> just like, like the slowest climb, but they always were just such a fantastic band that, uh, anyway, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm, I'm just agreeing with you. They were, they're a great band. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and, and I, I had to know what the fuck was going on. So I, I banged on the door and they opened the door and I peeked in I said, I don't remember what I said, but it was like, I remember I was very impressed and I was, uh, gave him kudos and I said, anyway, have a good day, whatever. She pulled the door shut. And I think that was the pretty much what started the bond between us, you know, aside from music, but 
I think that's how it came about because they reflected on when that happened and that was fun for them as well. Um, but you know, Black Elk, man, that's yeah. one hell of a band. Um, and I have seen both these bands many times. Um, I don't go out to shows much these days because I'm too fucking busy and don't, I'm not interested, but, uh, it, it was fun that they came up with that. And, uh, I, the guitar player took extra time to show me parts that he thought might be good for me to play. And, you know, I probably murdered them when we played them, you know, (laughs) you know, but the thing is, is that it was fun and it was energy and, uh, you know, it, it, the people loved it when they, they saw it. It was, it was a very special energy was shared amongst people. Um, so it was fun for me. That's not something I would have came up with on my own. Right, right. You wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have been sit, sitting there and workshopping like, hey, what kind of like weird thing can I do right now? Like that's that's just right. the kind of thing that just comes over the transom. You're like, yeah, man. Yeah, that that was all akimbo <laughs> at the time. All those guys. So, Brothers of the Sonic Cloth is on hiatus, mm-hmm. right? That's that. It's 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 not gone. It's just not happening. Is that what that a fair assessment? That is correct. Um, I we've got songs that we need to record that we have that are ready, and we've got a couple others in the hopper. But uh, well, because the, uh, the yeah the the record was what about five years ago at this point, right? Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took us. It took me. Uh, it took us rather, you know, almost ten years to come out with the first one. So <laughs> we move at the speed of glaciers. You know. Yeah, you're not exactly going on the CCR model. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> that's what we do, and uh, you know, we we all live very busy lives. Uh, Dave, uh, French, the drummer, uh, he's. Uh, He's an amazing uh, musician in his own right, and does his uh, his choice of jobs is he does uh, teching studio. Uh, I mean, uh, live teching for uh, numerous bands. He's worked with Soundgarden. Uh, God, it's so many. I can't even fucking think of right now. Reba McIntyre. He's done. Uh, oh God, what's the name of that guy? Acoustic dude. Dave something very popular with the uh, college crowd from about eight years ago. Uh, anyway, that really <laughs> yeah. narrows it down. Yeah. I was going to say, I got very popular guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, he, uh, he, he does stage decking. He's done it for Soundgarden. you know, whatever job. I think he went out with, uh, with, uh, MC five, MC fifty rather. MC fifty, yeah, with, with Kim uh, on guitar, Billy. Neurosis. He's, uh, you know, he got that connection probably from us playing and being on the label with Neurot Records, and uh, you know, he moved to Portland. He's got a, a girlfriend that he's very much in love with, and so it's it's difficult. I mean, he's willing to come up here and jam, and we're willing to go go down there and rehearse, but um, hell of a you know, though. I. Yeah. I, I just been busy doing the studio myself and this is where I, I have a lot of fun. And, uh, as a result of that, in my downtime, I did a, a podcast 
which I haven't had much time to devote to because I only do that when I'm not busy. But uh, since then, I rediscovered my roots and started putting out solo stuff of uh, whatever it is that I do now. <laughs> right. And, and uh, I, I suppose it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. Well, what, what do you, so you, you tell me what's the, what's the best way for folks to get that chase, go to your website to, to check it out. I mean, what's your preferred. Yeah. Taddoyle.com is great. Um, I also have a digital download only label, which I don't know if I'm going to keep open because it's at this point, it's costing me more money to keep it up than it is <laughs> that it has income. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's it, just last minute again. <laughs> yeah. This last uh, month it's been good because, uh, people are aware that, uh, artists may be uh, having a hard time with income yeah. and uh, it's actually black lined for the first time in about a year. But uh, yeah, that's uh, incineration ceremony recordings and that's on Bandcamp. And I have a few artists that I work with and uh, my symphonic slash, <coughs> excuse me, avant-garde works as well as my wife's record is on there too. She had a band called Pegadeth that she did with, uh, um, a Helms Ali. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. The amazing and, Helms Ali. Yeah, yeah. A couple of the people from Helms Ali and, uh, old friends, uh, Hosey and especially and uh, Ben Dana. Yeah. Ben. Dana. Yep. Good people. And, uh, that's available there as well as, uh, a couple others and maybe some more down the road if it if it stays open but uh at, right now i'm kicking around the idea of just letting it go Ugh. man and and that's unfortunately not an uncommon tale these days and it's one of the well right now one of the most untold stories of of this pandemic but you know who knows what the future is gonna gonna hold because when they talk about quote-unquote a changed world like a lot of people just think about like you know, brunch places and things along those lines. But I mean, when you, when you operate a business at a, at a thin margin, it's just such a, oof, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's the wrong it's, kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah. And it's tenebrous at best, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these small businesses or, things that we enjoy as uh, consumers are going to go away because they can't really afford to keep the quote unquote virtual doors open. Um, I have been lucky that I'm staying a little bit busy through doing uh, virtual and uh, offsite mixing and mastering for people. And uh, which we should mention because of course, as you might imagine, there's a lot of musicians that listen to this show that, uh, oh, yeah, that yeah. that's something that you are available to do. Um, they can contact you through the website. You know, there's face Facebook page, things along those lines. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a good, good move to fly that flag. Cause it's just because everyone's in quarantine and you know, a lot of people are laid off and whatnot. doesn't mean that creativity stops and nor should it. Yeah, so. exactly. And you know, I, like I said on that post, I, I will, entertain any reasonable offer you know so don't think that money's an issue you know i yeah. i want to help people get their music done and because i've been that guy in the past i wanted somebody to help me so I, i'm there and it, and it might even just be like consulting you know you got questions or something you know 
I can share my experience with whoever or whatever. Um, but I do prefer to do um, audio work. So right. if you need that, I'm your man. Tad, Tad, Tad's your huckleberry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tad, I, I want I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with me and, and agreeing to do this. It's a it's a pleasure. And yeah, I Likewise, wish Conan. I wish I it was it under better good. conditions, of course. But uh, I, I I really appreciate you doing it and uh, being so open and and cool. The, I have a the one thing I I close the show out with. It's only I I, I hate canned questions, but it's a canned question because I like hearing what people say, and it's pretty pretty short one is uh why do you do what you do oh that's a good question why do i do what i do it's because that's what i am there you go i am what i am said popeye no i i do it because uh it, it brings joy to my heart you know i write very almost depressing music for a lot of people uh well for myself rather i don't write for a lot of people who knows if anybody's listening but yeah, it's it's because it brings immense joy to my life, my heart, and I love dissonant chords and you know, putting shit together that sounds horrendous. Let's say <laughs> horrendous <laughs> to some and delightful to others. Right. That, that, that could be a that could be a unauthorized biography. Right. Uh, thanks for having me on. That that's awesome, man. Thanks thank thanks again so much. Uh, really appreciate you. Appreciate your time and. Uh, yeah, stay safe. You too.
We got some wood goblins there. Uh, that's wood goblins by Tad. We uh, I referenced that earlier in the, uh, in the in the show, so that's why I'm playing that one. And uh, before that, we had a, another song by Brothers of the Sonic Cloth. Is this thing on? And that was uh, I Am. That's how the brothers of the Brothers of the Sonic Cloth record. It's on rot. And of course, that was Tad Doyle. Awesome dude. Let's go. I hope you, hope you guys enjoyed that. Okay. Well, well, well. Are we going? This has been another stay-at-home edition. Of Coming Across Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. Ah. If you're interested. Hey, Mr. Tad Doyle, taddoyle.com. Hit him up with an email. Don't hit him up on Facebook. Uh, Which ape is the studio? Hit him up with your mixing or mastering projects. He's available. Reasonable rates, etc. Okay, so signing off. 
and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Maybe the show's Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you for listening. Anyone to within it. the sound of my voice. The show airs on Radio Nope, radionope.com live. Radioneutron.com for the archives. We've got 50,000 watts of power. Always free, no ads, no sponsors. Patreon.com slash Bertonic Reversal if you want to get the show episodes quicker than the free feed. Dollar a month to get you there. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Thanks for everyone who shares the show now? around. Appreciate it. More than you know. Out on Route 128. Stay dark safe. And lonely. Got my radio on. Take it easy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now?
really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. This is a real goddamn emergency!